All right, how do you want to start this podcast? Why don't we start it just like this? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> With the guaranteed blah. laugh track. <laughs> John, you're going to be our laugh track for this whole thing, <laughs> I think. Hi, friends. Welcome to this adventure of we don't even know what we're calling it we yet. We don't even know what we're calling this. <laughs> How about an introduction? Okay. Uh, let's see. My name's John. I am the online campus director is my official title, but as as we both know, working in the church, it's you have a title, but then it's also, hey, here's all the other things we want your help with, and which I enjoy all of that. So been uh, part of Ginghamsburg for a little over a year and a half. It'll almost be, it's almost been two years and uh, have really uh, enjoyed seeing seeing what God is doing and being a part of that. And uh, so you've been married for almost 11 years, and I have an almost three-year-old daughter. So how's that for an intro? Love it. <laughs> uh, my name is Dan. Uh, I've been a part of Ginghamsburg Church for about 17 years, 16 going on 17 years. Uh, started as a graphic design intern, my first job out of college. Um, I remember living in some random person's house for three weeks before deciding to get an apartment of my own. Uh, that was before I hit my 90-day probationary period, you know, where they're still testing to see whether or not I'm legit. Um, I just assumed I was legit, so I bought a permanent residence, and here I am. <laughs> Met my wife at Ginghamsburg. Yes. Uh, had our kids at Ginghamsburg. And uh, so, yeah, almost 17 years later, I uh, am now communication director here. I know the ins and outs of all our communication systems and uh, keep striving towards um, building on what we already have and what we already know, which is really uh, the core of most of our conversations, John. It's dreaming yeah. into the future and yep. talking a lot about like communication philosophy as mm-hmm. much as theology, probably more philosophy than theology. Yeah. And we always get to these uh, places where I feel like we talk ourselves into these uh, ambient, uh, abstract... Um, ethereal places. Yep. <laughs> and then it's like, well, what do we do now? We should make a podcast. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> yeah, this is really the only solution that we ever come to. <laughs> we should just record these conversations. <laughs> yeah, so we have decided to record a podcast uh, just for fun. The question is, how are you going to do church differently this year? Um, and you and I have uh, talked about all kinds of ways to do church differently. Um, so I know you came with some ideas. Mm-hmm. I came with some ideas. Um, maybe we just go back and forth and share until we're done talking, which might be a few weeks from now. <laughs> Number one, that, and I've got my notes here about it, that I had read some uh, some things from Oswald Chambers, and one of the things that I read was, are we more devoted to service than we are to Jesus Christ himself? And so it's funny because I had made my list and then I read that and I was like, oh, that should be number one. And so it's it's this idea of asking God to show us what we should do different, you know, and it's, it's so easy to just be like, oh yeah, Jesus, the Sunday school answer. But it's like, really, if we don't approach something differently from a place of seeking what God has in it for us, then it's kind of what's the point? And so, so I think that's a, that's a great place to start 
is just asking God, what, what can I do different? How, how do you want to lead me to do something different as I'm participating in church and exploring what it means to be part of the church? And so there you go. Our Sunday school answer number one is yeah. well, it has start to do, with Jesus. I think it has to do with purpose and meaning, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that we all have an expiration date. Yep. Uh, you and I are going to die, yep. John. My wife is a, a professional clinical counselor. Uh, so in her master's program, she brought home this book called Love's Executioner. I picked it up and read through it. And basically, this guy is a counselor uh, who documented different 10 different cases um, of clients, uh, all very um, different from one another, cases from every end of the spectrum. But he tied a thread through all of them and basically mm-hmm. said all of their anxiety is rooted in the fear of death. Mm. And so death is really the subconscious motivator for all of our decision-making, for all all of the things that we decide to do or decide not to do. It's really because in the back of our minds, um, we either know that our time is running out. Like, think about the timeline of your life, right? Like, when you decide to have kids. When I mean, even way back to when we put kids through school so that we can go through high school, so we can go through graduation, so we can go through our initial careers, so we can meet people so we can have kids so we can earn money towards retirement so we can do what we want to do finally (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. um it's all tied into this uh subconscious fear of death and so when you say like are we focused more on our service than jesus Mm -hmm. right um i think we have this subconscious fear that if we don't do enough uh that somehow we um it, to me, it's, it's, it has something to do with earning our way into heaven, mm. right? Like, if we don't do enough, then, we are, then we're worthless or we haven't done enough with our life. And so we do and we do and we do and we do mm-hmm. um, instead of just being mm-hmm. who we are in, in Christ and letting that be enough, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, you hear it everywhere else. We're supposed to be human beings, not human doings. Yeah. Right? So it is. It's like right. we've, we've gotten to this place of it's always got to be something like we're always got to be doing something and it's on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. And it's like, there's no, um, no concept of presence mm-hmm. anymore. It's I'm on to the next thing. When you think about it, there will be a last time when your daughter asks you to take her to bed mm-hmm. and you won't realize it until after it's passed, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's that idea of man, like, Today could be the last time I get to sit with my daughter and try and make her eat crackers at lunch. But, you know, it's like you got to take take advantage of it and be present and doesn't always have to go on social media. It doesn't always have to be, you know, picture perfect. It's like just yeah, just be there. There's a pressure to do it all. Yeah. Right. Like every single and you and I are technology minded technologically minded people, yep. you know, digital discipleship uh, is something that we believe in. And yet there's this pressure to do it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to be Facebook experts. We have to be Instagram experts, TikTok experts, Twitter experts, Pinterest experts, horizon world uh, experts, <laughs> horizon world <laughs> experts. Uh, and then also you have to maintain a website and you have to maintain an app. And now there's like worshiping online. And what does that even mean? And how yeah. do you get people to, uh, reveal themselves when they're sitting on the couch watching TV. You have no idea who they are or how to engage with them. And we're expected to be experts in all of these uh, different channels. But 
it's always additive, I feel like. Like, mm-hmm. when a new thing comes along, there's hardly ever permission to let go of what we knew yeah. uh, or what we've been working with. I feel that way with Facebook a yeah. little bit, you know, that as these new social media technologies come along, um, how quick or how slow is the church to adapt? But it all comes out of this pressure to do, mm-hmm. you know, to do and to do and to do and to do instead of just being okay with who you are, uh, what your threshold is, your ceiling, your capacity, yeah. you know, um, knowing where that is um, in an effort to stay healthy, mm-hmm. you know, healthy and whole. Yeah. yeah. We have a we have a rule in, in our house that if I want to buy a new guitar, I got to get rid of one. So, th- <laughs> yes, I don't always like that, but I have that rule about nose flutes in my house. <laughs> That begs the question, how many nose flutes do you have? (laughs) All right, full disclosure, uh, my mom, when I was in college, bought me a pack of uh, 50 nose flutes, I think, and said, go, there you go, go ahead and start your nose flute band. (laughs) And so I just started passing them out to all my friends, and you're joining my band, join my band. All right, so you're right, what a great place to start, um, Jesus Christ himself, right? Yeah as a way to do church differently. Um, here's one from my list. Relationship before relevancy. Mm. Relationship before relevancy. I think sometimes working in technology, it's easy to value new tech over um, authentic relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think we should always be willing to release whatever new tech we're trying, if it's not building relational Mm. connection between people. I also think it's easy to follow trends because that's what trends are attractive, right? Like you want to do what's working. You want to win. Um, But oftentimes trends emerge from meaning. You Mm -hmm. know, when people find true meaning in something, uh, that's when it begins to blossom and take root uh, in culture. And so I think instead of focusing on trends or focusing on what's relevant at the time, cultural practices change, right? Mm. If you focus on core values um, and what matters most, uh, it's our relationships with, with one another. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do church differently in that way, not yeah. focus as much on what seems cool or what's new, but to focus on... Um, interpersonal relationship, mm-hmm. you know, empathy, uh, understanding, conversation, dialogue, all that kind of stuff um, that builds relationship. Yeah. Yeah. What's next on your list? Investing in the experience. You know, we live we live so much in a culture of just... Consumerism. Showing. Yeah, consumerism. Sure. Right. Thank you. That was the word I couldn't yeah. think of. But it's like, we, we need to give to get something you know what i mean like so many so many people are like man i left that church because i wasn't getting fed Mm -hmm. i wasn't i wasn't making friends i wasn't getting this i wasn't and it's like okay what what are you giving in order to get one of my college professors would always say don't put a nickel in and expect a dime's worth out Mm -hmm. and so it's one of those things where you have to be willing to invest in some way and so like you know, the most practical way of 
thinking that is like, how can, how can you serve? What's one way you can serve? And maybe that's hanging out with kids. Maybe that's, you know, mixing front of house. Maybe that's, you know, playing guitar. Maybe that's helping people find their seats. Maybe that's making coffee. You know, those are, those are the things in our local context, but it's also like, man, how can, how can you contribute to the the experience rather than just consuming the experience yeah i think i was pretty lucky when i wound up here at gingersburg church um part of why i've stuck around so long i think was a challenge that i got at asbury college which is where i graduated from uh the very last chapel that student chapel that i had which we usually do chapel three days a week at least i did when i was at school there um, so I'm a senior, I'm sitting there in chapel, I know this is the last word I'm going to get before graduation, and all I remember is the guy's mustache, <laughs> the speaker, I don't remember his name, I just remember his mustache, it was glorious, but he said, look, all of you graduating seniors, he's staring at our section, he says, you're going to graduate, and you're going to go off into like finding a career, and you're going to establish your families, uh, he said, you're going to be church shopping, but do me a favor, do God a favor. Don't look for a place that is fitting for you, that is a place that thinks all the same things you think, um, that is comfortable and familiar. You could wind up anywhere. Whatever you do, find a place, plant yourself there, give to that church, sit and learn at that church, serve at that church, offer your gifts stick around for a little while, and when you invest in that kind of way, you'll find that right relationship is more important than right theology. Um, You'll find that the family you find with those people is more important than what you feel or what you're being fed, you know. Um, you, You will fade away from all of your consumeristic tendencies, and you will fall in love with Jesus through the people, you know. And I have found that to be remarkably true. Um, And again, I'll say I think I was lucky when I wound up here. I grew up United Methodist, but Ginghamsburg for me was always a full like revelation of what a United Methodist could be. Mm -hmm. Um, My United Methodist church growing up was a little bit frozen chosen, uh, a little bit right. Like there was there, I was discipled pretty well by a couple people at that church, but by and large. This has been such a great manifestation of uh, the United Methodist Church and what United Methodism stands for in terms of personal piety and um, social holiness, you know. So that was the last message I heard at college, Mm -hmm. was bloom where you're planted. The very first message I heard here was from our teaching pastor at the time. His name's Mike Bowie, uh, whose sermon was titled, Bloom Where You're Planted. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so bridging my college and educational experience here's your sign <laughs> yeah to my professional career adulthood you know experience was the same message yeah. uh, linking the two together and so you're so right in investing in the experience mm-hmm. you know you got to you got to give <laughs> to it first yeah. yep. you can't come expecting to get yep. you have to give first without expecting anything yep. in return right and that's where you find yourself you lose yourself to find yourself Mm -hmm. i think somebody named jesus said that next on my list um ooh, i'll go to this one experience before judgment 
mm. as a way of uh, experiencing church in a new way. Man, we're so quick to judge, aren't we? Like we have our political silos. I think I think 2016 that election cycle did something to segregate the church um, theologically, um, politically, and we are really quick to label and to judge others. I can remember uh, traveling to Beirut in 2015 to explore the refugee crisis. Uh, The war in Syria was strong at the time, and we were seeing refugees, literally moms, putting their kids on boats, sending them across the Mediterranean Sea to safer lands uh, elsewhere in Europe, Mm -hmm. right? What a crisis. Uh, Moms don't do that unless there is absolutely no other choice, right? Mm -hmm. But I remember the a conversation, the dialogue that was flaring up on social media was whether or not we open or close our borders, you know. Don't open our borders because with the refugees come uh, uh, terrorists, right? They'll, they'll sneak in with all the refugees. Or, no, we have to open our borders because Jesus says, take care of the refugee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but having been in Beirut, uh, we went to a refugee camp on the border of Syria where we talked to a middle-class Syrian banker. Um, everything that he talked about flipped my understanding of what it means to be a refugee, what a refugee wants. A refugee, a refugee just wants to be home, mm-hmm. right? Um, but uh, I, wouldn't have not, I would have not had any of that deeper context or understanding had I not put myself in that context, you know, walk a mile in another man's shoes, mm-hmm. it's really simple. Um, but so often we are bent on offering opinions and solutions without understanding context, without empathy, without being willing to sit with your enemy, mm-hmm. uh, let alone sit with your neighbor to understand, like, where our common ground is, what our uh, history, our origin uh, is, you know, who, what makes us who we are. So I really think if you want to experience church in a new way, mm-hmm. um, focus on experience before judgment. Mm-hmm. Just like you said, dive into the experience of church, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to find a true relationship and a true experience of God within the church. I think this is me saying outside of the church too, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the world is big. Yep. The world is big, and so if you don't open yourself up to experiencing new things, mm-hmm. um, you'll never understand the fullness of God. Yeah, judge someone or something on a single interaction, right? A single, you know, and that's so much of what our culture does now. Is it's like, oh, somebody says one thing they shouldn't, and it's like they're banned or they're canceled or kicked to the curb, and it's like, well, hey, if you give that person a chance. You know, it's like, yeah, it may be that that's their true color shining through, but you also may encounter somebody that just, you know, something was taken out of context or mm-hmm. was spun, spun in a certain way based on a filter of some, some sort, you know? So it's, it's that idea of don't be, don't be quick to, don't be quick to judge, give it time, give it experience, like give it the experience, give it the chance to become something more than a surface interaction and see, yeah. see what happens. I mean, I could look at you as a uh, nearly middle-aged white man from Greenville, Ohio, and have all kinds of <laughs> assumptions. 
right? <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I've given you more time than right. than that, right? And you've <laughs> you've proven yourself even better. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's right. it's a no-brainer, but we we are so quick to to leap at um first impression judgments yeah. as this is true for you because yeah. this is all I see, right. you know. Yeah. What a tragedy. But that's where we're stuck. Yep. And so if you want to experience new a church in a new way, um, mm-hmm. yeah, man, just sit with people for a little while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's next on your list? A lot of mine are like nuts and bolts practical things. <laughs> and yours are these more like philosophical, like <laughs> deeper things. But, you know, it's like you just said, you know, you don't you don't know someone until you sit with them. So we're, we're all creatures of habit, right? Like True. You you get up on the same side of the bed every day. You put your put your socks on the same way every day. You you make breakfast the same way every day. But it's like you know we do the same thing at church. It's like you come in and you're like, hey, that person's sitting in my seat. Get out of my seat. No, no, no. It's like so so something simple as mm-hmm. what would it look like if you sat somewhere different? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> that would would you know disrupt the entire space-time continuum if you sit somewhere different at church but you're right for, for some people that it, it would it really but, would but yeah. i know i mean you you've been doing this pretty regularly i know we we talk about it all the time you you kind of intentionally bounce around the worship center and my wife hates it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's this whole idea of you know perspective changes things right so yeah. even like even yeah. just sitting well think about it this way like if you're sitting in the front seat of the front car, you will have one ride experience. But then if you are sitting in the back seat of the back car, same roller coaster, but you can have a completely different experience. And so, yeah, you get a mouthful of the long hair of the person in front of you. <laughs> You also need more of a chiropractic adjustment from sitting in the back yeah, seat. Yeah. But, you know, it's that it's that idea of, you know, even physically moving yourself to a different location uh-huh. can completely change the experience of church. And so so it's that idea of putting yourself in a place to sit next to somebody different. Yeah. And it's that idea of, you know, they may not look like you. They may not think like you. They may not have voted like you. But it's this idea of, hey, we're in this together. Yeah. We're we're worshiping the same God. We're singing the same songs. We're listening to the same scripture, and it it really brings it back to that idea of perspective. What, of why do you think it is that we sit in the same seat every well, Sunday? Well, I know what's that driven by. Um, well, some of it's historic, like. You know, in the the churches in, I mean, I'm trying to remember where they are, but like the the really old churches in Boston and like New York City, it's like people people paid for their seat, like they they donated the money for their pew or their like some of those old churches had like boxes where your pew was, but it was you know so like that's I mean we're talking like generationally, but I'm, yeah. I mean I wonder if that's where it started, where it's like oh well the Brackens paid for this pew so but why why pay for a pew was it fundraising for the is it like a way to get people to tithe that'd be my guess of hey we need money for seats but but yeah i wonder if that's you know if that's where it started but it i think it becomes then um well like anything it becomes routine it becomes habit and then 
you know, when something disrupts your habit, then you're like, oh no, yeah. you can't disrupt my habit. Like, and I think, I mean, there's probably some of that, some of that consumeristic idea as well of, well, no, it's mine. It's always been mine because that's where I've always sat. And it's like, has it always been yours or is it a shared, <laughs> is yeah. it a shared seat with, with someone else? <laughs> I, w- I wonder if it has something to do with control. Oh yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like maybe, maybe, and I feel this, that life is full of chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my wife and I uh, accumulated more, more medical debt than we expected to last year. Suddenly, uh, we owe taxes this year instead of getting a tax return, mm-hmm. and like nothing in our taxes changed. So it's like, what the heck? Um, beyond that, there's things at, at work that are seemingly out of our control. Things at school or in our extended families that are mm-hmm. out of our control that create this sense of chaos in our lives. Right? There are probably the little things in life, like routines, uh, we develop uh, to maintain a sense of control over our lives. Mm-hmm. Right? I love cutting the grass for that reason. Like I can go in a row and turn around and go in another row, turn around and go in another row, you know, and it's just so nice. It's two hours of work that I have to do, but is brainless and I can control the lines and I get to determine how it looks. And and then it turns into like perfectly cut with scissors, you know, and then it's like, I can control the grass. I've conquered it. You know, I wonder if it's the same for sitting in the same seat in church every week. Maybe. Like, this is my seat. I've conquered it. I can expect it. It's normal. It's status quo. I can um, I can maintain control over this tiny area of my life because the rest of my life is chaos, mm-hmm. you know? Um, maybe that's informative on, like, how we, how we treat people um, when they come into our uh, sanctuaries. There's another church close by um, who started doing section parties. Mm. Um, they have four big sections— and they took the first Sunday of the month and did breakfast for section one, you know, did it all real nice out in their lobby. And it was like a long table event, you know, they all got to know each other and because they're all sitting together anyway, but how, how can we actually build community with what we have? Mm-hmm. And then they did second Sunday with section two, third Sunday with section three. I just, that was a really good idea. Yeah. Right. I guess I see both sides of the coin. Um, sit somewhere new because you're right. Like it offers new perspective, you know, um, you meet new people that way. You see things a little bit differently. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, change is good. Change is good. You don't have to be afraid of it. Um, but also I wonder if people latch on to their routines because, uh, the rest of their life is chaotic and they just need something that they can control. Something stable, (laughs) something stable. Yeah. On the same subject, uh, one, book that I read that was really impactful for me in my younger years of ministry was The Art of Curating Worship Mm. by Mark Pearson. And in that book, he shared a story of a cat that was really interesting. He He said there was this church somewhere in Scotland, England, Ireland, I don't know, somewhere. And there was, so this is like 200 years ago. And there's this cat that kept showing up and like purring on people's legs under the pews, you know, like while they're trying to listen to the sermon. And they're like really annoyed by this cat week after week after week. So they finally grab it. They capture it and put a leash on it and tie it to a pole in the back of the sanctuary um, because they couldn't stop it from getting inside. So fine. Okay. It's being controlled now. Right. 
um, the cat starts meowing from the back, so even more annoying. And so give it some food. Maybe it'll shut up, you know. So they put a bowl of food back there, and the cat finally chilled out. So every Sunday, uh, this cat would be tied to the pole in the back of the sanctuary. They'd bring it milk and a bowl of food, and it would be satisfied, right? Quiet and satisfied. Well, um, the years went on, and people began to consider this cat to be the church's pet, you know? Like, they build a relationship with this cat. They go back, they named the cat, you know? They're petting the cat on the way in because it's it's comf- everybody's comfortable with it now. Um, and then the cat died. The church freaked out. What do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Uh, I don't know. And so they bought a new cat, and they named it, and they tied it to the pole in the back of the room, and they kept fetting it, and they brought it milk, and so years went on, years went on, and, you know, some people in the congregation died, well, the cat died again, and so then all the new people were like, we have to replace the sacred cat, uh, so they went to the pet store, and they got a new cat, and they started, like, building traditions around this cat, you know, and it became the holy cat in the back of the room, and so Centuries later, this church still had this dumb cat, this dumb, annoying, like meowing loud cat, you know, generations later, or the same like inference of it, you know, yeah. uh, generations later. And uh, don't we do that like all the time mm-hmm. in the church? We build up traditions, uh, these things that we do, these containers that we create that we have no idea why they're there. Uh, this could be the same for like instrument style preferences, you know, moving from the organ to the guitar to the nose flute, you know, which the nose flute is the future of worship. I'm just saying. Um, but what if, I mean, shoot, like what if it catches on and it does become, I mean, um, we have no idea why certain changes were made or what rules we're playing into, right. Or what containers we've created for ourselves that we don't even see, Uh, like what is sacred in our rhythms of, of church, you know, Uh, one of of my pastor friends, he, he was at a church and whenever they stood up to say the Lord's prayer, everybody turned to the left and couldn't figure out why. And this went on for several months while he's there. So he finally asks somebody and they were like, Oh, well, before we renovated the sanctuary, the Lord's prayer was, there was a picture of it up on that wall. <laughs> so everybody turned to the left wall to Even though it wasn't read there the anymore. Lord's Prayer. So once that was gone, they still continued to turn to the left to say the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Even though there's no, like the words are not oh, on the wall, oh but gosh. it became became tradition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. And so like these are just the things we do because we started them way back then and we just yeah. keep doing it because we like routine. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know? I, what I'll say then to this, one of one of my friends that I worked with previously he he liked to say, well, why don't why don't we make burgers out of the sacred cow? So it's that idea of okay, like let's <laughs> let's see what we can what we can get rid of and turn it into turn something it into good. something something good. Well, so. I mean, we were burning probably thirty DVDs of the weekend message uh, every week for four or five years before realizing before anybody asked the question, how many of these are we actually selling or giving out? one to the same person for five years what are we doing (laughs) 
why are we burning all these DVDs? <laughs> this took me how many hours on a Sunday afternoon instead of eating lunch with my family? Like, what? <laughs> so, like, ask the questions, right? Yeah. Like, ask the questions. It, it all ties down. It's still this, like, sit somewhere different um, mentality that, like, we get stuck in routines. We get stuck in our ruts. Um, you have to ask the question, why am I sitting here? Mm-hmm. Why am I sitting in the same spot every single Sunday? It's the same exact question, the same heart behind that question. Uh, why are we burning DVDs uh, if nobody's buying them? Mm-hmm. You know, Why are we doing this ministry or that ministry? Why are we hosting this event if we, if we don't know what the return on the investment is? Mm-hmm. If we're not seeing fruit from this particular thing that we're doing, why are we wasting our time and energy? God is doing a new thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay to release ourselves from the traditions and routines of the past. Yeah. Um, but we got to have courage to do that. I understand because people have routines because they feel like life is chaotic, mm-hmm. right? Maybe maybe that's true. What do we need to let go of? That's a really great question. How are we going to do church differently? We're going to let go of it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't let go of it all at once. but Dude, I mean, like... I see everything as a container that's worth messing with. Yeah. You know, why in the world do we gather for church on Sunday mornings? Yeah. Why not Monday at three in the morning? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's reasons, right. you know, sure. But like, if yeah. nobody's ever asking the question, right. Um, then well, maybe we'll never understand why, you know, the church is not about a building or tradition right. or yeah. programming. Yeah. It's, it's about the people and it's, it goes back to, relationship you know it's it's about how do we connect together right how do we get to know one another and how do we help each other grow closer to jesus because that's like if things aren't helping us connect closer to one another and grow closer to jesus then it's like hey we better (laughs) take stock of that yeah that's called a sacred cow or a sacred cat tied to the pole in the back exactly so it's it is it's like man how do we how do we really be the people of the church yeah and that's, I mean, it's the yeah. $500 well, billion dollar If you want to know how deep it gets, like, I start throwing out, well, maybe Gingersburg should change its name, you know, uh, because we have had all this success in the past, right? We have a totally brand new church now after several years of transition. Mm-hmm. Um, how can they operate in the same container? You know, well, it's not a, it's, if, if, if all it is, if all a name is, is a container to operate within, wouldn't it be wise to create a new container for a new set of people, you mm-hmm. know, who have different ideals, uh, different contexts, different origin stories, you know, yeah. different understandings of scripture. Like how do we create, how do we give them the freedom to create a new container together? Mm-hmm. You know? And so if, if you're listening and you're like <laughs> feeling really nervous in your spirit that I'm going to change Ginghamsburg's name, I mean, well, does that say that you have a sacred cow? You know, um, because I don't see anywhere in the Bible that says we can't change the church's name. You know, uh, because it's all about Christ. I mean, that's how we started this conversation, new, right? New that's wine, where you start. New wine skin. New new yeah. wine needs new wine skin. Yeah, because you put new wine in an old wine skin and it'll burst. Yeah, who has your allegiance? Not what mm-hmm. you know. Um, if if the name of your church has your allegiance more than Jesus does. Yeah. Like, you know, you got, you, you've got some deep inner work to do, I mm-hmm. think. Um, are we going to rename Ginghamsburg? Probably not. 
you know. <laughs> Would I be okay with it? Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, let's go. Um, Behold, I am doing something new. <laughs> dude, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, branding is marketing anyway, and I have qualms with marketing in the church uh, as the marketing director for Ginghamsburg <laughs> Church. Maybe that's next week's podcast. Okay. Uh, yeah, why not? We don't have a plan. There's no right. roadmap for this. <laughs> There's no roadmap. <laughs> All right. So sit somewhere new. Sit somewhere new. Uh, here's another one off of my list. Uh, <laughs> I think people are going to get really mad at me for this one. No more donuts. <laughs> <laughs> John, we're all fat. <laughs> like, why do we eat so much sugar? Like, why is the church shoving sugar down my kid's throat? You know, why are my kids' bus drivers doing the same? My kids' teachers are doing the same. My kids' grandparents, mom, dad, doing the same. Like, why? Why do I feel um, like I can't treat my kids because the world is treating them before mm. I even get a chance? You know, like that's that's why I'm like, we don't buy ice cream. We don't go to Dairy Queen or anything like that, because yeah. I already feel like they've had 10 candy bars throughout the day. Slight mm-hmm. exaggeration, but um, their bus driver is bribing them to be quiet with candy. You know, their teachers are rewarding them with candy yeah. when when they get a question right. Preschool teachers and daycare teachers and Sunday school teachers are all rewarding with with candy. Mm -hmm. And then on Sunday mornings, we gather around sugar, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's something about holistic health Mm -hmm. um, that has me revolting against the um, gratuitous amounts of sugar that we keep shoving um, in front of ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know. So I say that unapologetically. should we put broccoli in the lobby? <laughs> I would be game for that, man. We could try it. Yeah, we could try it and nobody would eat it. Right. Although maybe maybe nobody's ever tried that before. Yeah. You know, maybe we have a veggie bar. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. That's man. a good uh, that's I I think I with some dips, the yeah. ranch dip, although ranch is full of sugar, isn't it? Yeah, and man. Not sorry all you ranch lovers, but yeah. no. Not you, huh? <laughs> not you. Yeah, I don't know. Like I I don't I don't want to blame society for my issues with food, mm-hmm. right? But man, why why is being healthy so hard? Mm-hmm. You know, it's because we're entrapped by um a system that says sugar is what you eat when you're sad. Sugar is what you eat when you're happy too. And sugar is what you eat when you're hungry. And sugar is what you eat when you're bored, <laughs> you know. And here you go, just it's everywhere, and you cannot avoid it. And it's it's uh, it's disappointed me over the years that the church doesn't seem to fight against that. Mm-hmm. I've never understood why, you know, because yeah. we're supposed to be, um, we're supposed to be healthy people who live a long time so that we can do God's work mm-hmm. on earth. Um, and I feel like we're not getting any help in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, what do you think? I mean, getting rid of donuts doesn't hurt me because yeah. I, don't, I don't eat them. You don't eat them? I mean, Dude. I, li- I like donuts, but... What do we do? We get like eight dozen on Sunday morning or something? It's more, I think it's more than that even. Is it more than that? I don't remember, but it's a lot. It's a lot of, it's a lot of donuts on yep. Sunday morning, and they always get eaten. People love the donuts. Yep. People love the donuts. And like, okay, but there's something about the donuts that feels like a sacred cow to mm-hmm. me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to try church in a new way, stop eating the donuts. Uh, and maybe not even that. 
repentance is like a full 180, you yeah. know? So if we stop the donuts, maybe it's a veggie bar. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's a veggie bar. Yeah. Or some, I don't know. The church is also addicted to caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> there might be global evidence to suggest that's not that big of a deal, that like maybe that's okay, you know, considering most of the adult population in the world's hooked on coffee, caffeine, energy. Um, nope. No, not you. Nope, dude. I don't. I don't well, drink coffee. I I didn't drink coffee until I went to Beirut in 2015, and it's a part of their culture, customary uh, to boil a giant pot of coffee in the morning and then all through the day, as you go into different businesses and establishments, homes, you meet people. Their custom is to come around with like those tiny little cups of coffee on a tray, huh. you know, and. So by the end of the day, you're just like jittery because you've had like so much 50 cups of <laughs> tiny little cups of coffee, you know, but I didn't, I couldn't say no. So that was the trip. That was the day like that I got hooked on coffee. And now when I don't drink it, I get a headache. And I'm like, thanks a lot, <laughs> Beirut. That's another question of mine too is mm-hmm. coffee, but I, I feel like that's maybe a steeper hill to climb than the donuts. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to leave that one alone for now. Okay. <laughs> For now. for now. All right, what's next on your list? Ways to do church differently. I wonder how many people struggle with the idea of having something that they can contribute. You know, and I know like cuz you think you think most people think they don't. I I would wonder if if that's people tell me all the time. I'm not creative. Yeah. You're so creative, Dan. I'm not creative. Like, right. No. Creativity is just problem solving. Right. Like God's uniquely gifted you to yeah. solve problems and in it's your a, unique way. It's a muscle. Yeah. You have to you have to right. stretch it. You have to use it. Yeah. And you know, if if not, it's gonna it's gonna atrophy. And so, you know, I guess I'm talking to myself here too of yeah, being John. being mindful of, you know, keeping keeping things sharp because it's like you know, I never know when an opportunity is going to arise that, you know, I may be called upon to jump in to do something. And it's like, if I'm out of practice or out of shape, like. Passed you by. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it's like if if we're constantly focusing on how do we make something better, it, it really takes us out of the. Like you can still be critical in it, but it takes us out of takes us out of being critical just to be critical. It's like, oh well, I see something that needs to be improved, so I can do something to make it better. Yeah. You know, if all you see around you is death, mm-hmm. you're probably gonna go into a scarcity mindset. Right? Yeah, you're gonna hide. You're gonna protect. You're gonna find security because you don't want to die. Right. <laughs> right. But that's all I see. If all you see around you is life, you're probably much more willing to freely live, mm-hmm. right? Uh, take yeah. risks and yep. to try new things and to explore and to go out because you feel safe. Yep. Um, a lot of that is, uh, a lot of momentum maybe then is determined by where you set your focus. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the positive, um, you're much more free and willing to take risks uh, right. to try new things and um, to explore. Um, but you know, if you're caught up and in all you see is the negative outcomes, um, it's probably reflected in your ministry strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you're cutting budgets, you're um, going into survival mode, mm-hmm. uh, and so you're not being fruitful <laughs> in what yeah. God's given you. Yeah. 
you can you can tell the difference when a team is playing to win the game and when a team is playing to not lose the game. <laughs> sure. And it's I mean it's a huge difference. Well, in any sport you can see it. It's you know how do you how do you play to win versus how do you play not to lose? And right. it's like most times you play not to lose a game, you wind up losing the game. And so so yeah, it is. It's how do you how do you we go back to perspective? How do you change you know how do you change your perspective? How do you look at something from that? Str- that strategy yeah. of man like we can do this instead of like oh no like we're, we're hemorrhaging money or oh no like we've lost a bunch of people or oh no like that event bombed it's like well no like what what can we take from it but also say like man yeah that event wasn't great but two kids asked questions about jesus or you know yeah, yeah look look yeah finding the positive and yeah Hit us with one more, Daniel. All right. Which one? Ooh, I know which one I would pick off your list. Which one? Number four. Be with the poor. Be with the poor. Yeah. So okay. I know we've had we've had a lot of conversations around this. And yeah. it's really kind of like, you know, one of one of Jesus' primary commands was to take care of the widows and the orphans right. and the poor. And yeah. Jesus always talked about coming for the sick and those in need and the marginalized. You know, he, he even said, he's like, the, the people who are well aren't the ones that need a doctor. You know, how do we, how do we as the church help those in need to find their agency? So how can you experience church differently this year? For me, it's being with the poor. I've been reading a book by Bryant Myers called Walking with the Poor, right? I think when you think of poor people, I think maybe the stigma or the stereotype is that if you're poor, you don't have any money. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe an image of a homeless person comes to your mind, you know, disheveled, um, without resources, right? Certainly that is... um, one symptom of being poor. Uh, But this book has really helped me to understand that being poor is much more about being powerless, Mm. right? Like it's the people who lack agency to control their own outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are stuck in a disempowering system, uh, you lack the influence over your own outcomes. Mm Mm-hmm. And true freedom, especially freedom in Christ, um, would be that you can fully live. Like, I think that's what Christ wants for us, to be fully alive, right? And so as Christians, as the church, if we are to take care of the poor, uh, yeah, it's feeding them, it's making sure they have clothing on their back and shelter, but it's way more than that, right? It's actually allowing them to regain freedom over their own lives, Mm -hmm. Um, which is why I love New Path, uh, our outreach organization, Um, you know, we have a cars program, but it's not just giving people who lack transportation a car. It's actually empowering them to take control over their own finances and helping them along the way. It's, uh, you know, helping them with education. It's helping them with life skills. And so you go through the program and then you graduate and you get a car as a reward. It's an incentive, right, Mm -hmm. to improve areas of your life. But I love that because it's coming around somebody who has been powerless because they can't 
uh, afford transportation. I mean, think think about how disempowered you are if you don't mm-hmm. have a car in our society. If you have to walk to work, how limited are your opportunities to uh, to pursue a career? Mm-hmm. You know, and so lack of transportation in and of itself is a disempowering system. Yeah. If you're limited to the bus system, you're limited to where the bus system can carry you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not only are we providing transportation to re-empower uh, these people who don't have transportation, but it's also coming around, uh, coming alongside them in other ways to re-empower them in other areas of their lives as well. And I think that's what the job of the church is uh, when it's to be with the poor um, you can't understand the context of a poor person and the disempowering and tangled system that they're trapped in without like being with them in their context to experience their pain and their limitations. No, it's not because they're lazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a thing called generational poverty. There's a thing called geographical poverty, you know, um, educational poverty, transportational mm-hmm. poverty, um, uh, Jai Akamer Christian is somebody that uh, Bryant Myers quotes in his book, and he lays out um, the poverty as described by disempowering systems where people uh, who are in poverty are entrapped by their cultural system, their social system, their spiritual and religious system, uh, their personal system, and their biophysical system, um, all working together to either empower or disempower mm-hmm. individuals. So for us, for example, let's take the spiritual and religious system. Well, how, how does the church disempower people? Mm. Um, maybe if you're like somebody I know really well, um, I'll save their uh, name because I didn't ask for permission to share this, um, who grew up in a church that said, you know, if you say cuss words, you're going to hell, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so now uh, this person who has... Uh, OCD um, obsesses over the fact that any little thing that they do wrong means that they're going Mm -hmm. to hell, right? And so they live their whole life feeling trapped by, um, they're they're so afraid to do anything wrong, and so they are living a life full of anxiety and worry and fear of God's eternal judgment and Mm -hmm. burning forever and fire. (laughs) On one side, I think that's bad theology. Right, uh, but on another, like the church has just disempowered this person, yeah, um, which is so so tragic mm-hmm. to me, right? Um, and so, what kind of religious entrapment are mm. we um, manipulating people into? It's yeah. a really important question to ask as church leaders. Um, and what ministries do we uh, have or not have yet that need to be focused on re-empowering mm-hmm. people to gain agency over their own desired outcomes? Because that's what Christ wants, mm-hmm. you know. Um, in Christ, we are free. Mm-hmm. So, um, really important to be with the poor. And if you want to experience church in a new way, uh, I think you have to understand poverty in mm-hmm. in a new way. Um, it's really important. Um, I'll, I'll make another parallel too. So back to Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, take for example the refugee. Uh, if you understand, take time to understand the context of the refugee, you'll begin to see that our our arguments in the U.S. were totally out in left field. Mm -hmm. The argument isn't whether or not we should open or close our borders. That's where Christians in the U.S., American Christians, were stuck on debating with the Bible whether or not we should open or close our borders, right? 
well, if you hang out with the poor, in other words, like a mom who is powerless against putting her kid on a boat and sending her kid across the sea <laughs> to Europe, you know, if you come alongside mom, uh, you start to understand that what they really want is to stay home. And so the church needs to help empower the refugee to stay home. Does that mean we get involved in politics? Probably. You yeah. know, does that mean we get involved in, um, <laughs> you know, international uh, affairs? Yeah, probably. Um, but that's, that's what they want, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when they can't do that, uh, what's the next thing they want? They probably want safe passage when they have to flee, right? Mm-hmm. Because peop- they are fleeing because they have no other choice. They're powerless against staying. Mm-hmm. You know, they're powerless to stay. They have to go. And so can we empower a safe journey? Mm-hmm. Maybe, <laughs> you know. So how does the church come alongside their journey when they have to flee because they have no other choice? Mm-hmm. How do we empower their safety? Um Third, uh, if they've made, if, if, it's a big if, they've made it safely across the sea uh, and they land in a new country that speaks a new language um, and they are forced to resettle mm. because they are powerless against any other option, does the church come alongside them um, to do cultural training, mm. uh, to do language training, um, to help them figure out like that new country's mm. tax system, you know, uh, educational systems, transportation systems, because everything's different, you know. Mm-hmm. So how do we come alongside the refugee um, to really be comfortable in the new place that they are, uh, whether it's France or Spain or if they've made it to the U.S., you know. And then fourth, like if it's not quite working out because that's really hard (laughs) and all they really want remember is to go back home Mm -hmm. well oftentimes if they do make the decision to go back home um they are seen as traitors because they left yeah and so how does the church come alongside them to empower them to reclaim their home Mm -hmm. um to be an advocate for them against their own governments who are oftentimes not letting them back in so you see like what does it mean to be with the poor um i was a little bit sad um I love our church. Like we have a Christmas miracle offering every year that um, puts a lot of money towards a singular, like special project each year. And that year, um, one significant part of our miracle offering was to support refugees. Um, I had all this context now, having been in relationship and in conversation with refugees, to understand like the nuances of how to re-empower these people along the way. Um, but our solution was to send emergency aid kits to refugees mm. who were in Jordan. Um, so, okay, <laughs> like not a bad thing, you know, but there's so, there's something so much bigger that I felt mm. like by and large, the American church was blind to when it comes to being with the poor. Mm-hmm. We've got our own poor among us who have their own systems of, of disempowerment. Right. Um, but it's not just meeting physical needs. Um, that's a good thing. I think we're called mm-hmm. to do that, but I think the church could be so much more. I've got higher expectations. Mm-hmm. I've got higher expectations for us. So there. <laughs> 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 there. <laughs> Man. All right. What do we do from here, John? Um, does this become multiple uh, episodes or do we... Tell you what, here's, okay, 
So we want this to be a dialogue, not just a, a monologue, which means you have an important part to play. Uh, if you have questions, uh, topics you want us to talk about because you're interested, questions you've always had about the church, uh, we have no fear, so let's dive right in. Um, I would recommend one of two ways to engage in conversation with us and to spark conversation on this podcast. One would be emailing us at info at ginghamsburg.org. That uh, would be a really easy way to um, contribute to the podcast. Uh, if you have ideas, comments, or <laughs> concerns, I guess, because why not? And secondly, what I think would be fun would be for you to download the Discord app and join the Ginghamsburg Discord server uh, made by Dominic Land. Uh, I always like giving Dom a shout out because he's a, a high school kid um, in our ministry who is uh, really leading uh, leading us into digital ministry and appreciate what he's done to piece together our Discord server. And he'll be a future guest. And he will be a future guest. He should be a future guest. That's a good idea. If you want to join our Discord server, uh, all you need is an invite link. You can find that at facebook.com slash ginghamsburg along the left side of our Facebook page. Uh, you could also just email info at ginghamsburg.org and ask us for an invite link. We'd be happy to get you on our Discord server. And uh, we have lots of fun conversation there. Enjoy your week.